Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we're going to be talking about It's a Dog's Life, season one, episode six, first aired on November 4th, 1984. The IMDb summary says, there's infighting and backstabbing galore when wealthy Denton Langley snubs his family and leaves most of his estate to a dog, which is discovered after his fatal fall from a drugged horse. Oh, this will be interesting. Let's get into it. So we open with a panoramic view of horses playing in a field, a beautiful estate, and it just looks peaceful and luscious and definitely not setting us up for the drama of that summary. (laughs) That's for sure. Then we see someone walking into the stable. There's a horse stable. And we just see their galoshes as they slowly walk towards a specific stable. Um, And at that point, we hear ominous music. And then we see a gloved hand holding a pill. The camera pans over and we see Sawdust, who is is not upset. So it would lead me to believe that Sawdust knows this person that's handing him the pill. He willingly eats the pill and we go immediately to the next scene. So what we can gather is, one, this person's probably familiar with this stable. Two, the other horses as well as Sawdust are familiar with this person because they didn't get upset, they didn't make noise. It just seemed like someone they're familiar with and it wasn't unusual for that person to be in there. So clue number one. (laughs) So the next scene, we're inside the mansion and there is a very sophisticated party going on. We have a four-piece orchestra. Everyone is in formal riding gear. The men are all wearing red jackets. The women are wearing black jackets, except for Jessica. <laughs> she, go, she goes to her own beat. So <laughs> she has her own sense of fashion and she will not be forced to wear a uniform. <laughs> so at this point, we meet Trish, who is all over this guy, who we soon learn is married as Spencer, Trish's brother, comes over and says, oh, I'm sorry, I did not get the guy's name, sorry. We'll say Joe. Oh, hey, Joe, um, sorry your wife couldn't make it. <laughs> Everybody knows you're married and Trish ain't your wife. So Trish does not miss a beat. She does not care. She just kind of snuggles up closer to him. And he seems fine with it too. So, all right now. Then Echo, who is their niece, comes over. And Trish is like, oh, this is my niece Echo. She listens to some crappy music, garage band music, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds like Cats in Heat. To which Echo says, they're not the only ones. It's like, all right, she did not miss a beat. Go ahead, Echo. And then Morgana comes over. Now, Morgana is Echo's mother. 
and therefore Morgana is Spencer and Trisha's sister. All three of those siblings are the children of Denton Langley, who we're about to meet in a second. So Morgana is talking to Spencer and uh, Trish has already walked off with the married man. <laughs> and I think Echo is still there. But uh, Morgana says she has an astro projectionist who's better than any psychic that she's talked to. So we're led to believe that Morgana is, is different. Then we see Denton Langley, who is the birthday boy. This is a party for his 80th birthday. They're having a fox hunt. And he's speaking with Jessica. And he's definitely hitting on Jessica, okay? Who is at least 20 years, maybe a little bit more than 20 years younger than he is uh, in real life and on, <laughs> and as Jessica Fletcher, Fletcher. Both Angela Lansbury and Jessica Fletcher are significantly younger than him. However, I will say he does not look 80, okay? He does have a cane we see later on, but I if he I I was surprised they said 80. If they would have said 60, he looked appropriate for 60. But um hey, you know what? Something's keeping him young. We then meet his best friend Tom who he kind of shades when he's like, oh yeah, this is Tom. He's my, we've been friends forever. Um, he owns the measly six acres next door. Like really, we're friends. Why are you embarrassing me in front of company? <laughs> Denton is some type of friend. So then Abby walks over and this is how Jessica knows these people because Abby is Denton's employee she takes care of the horses, she trains them, as well as takes care of Teddy, his dog, who we'll meet in a second as well. And Abby is Jessica's cousin from England. So that's how Jessica is part of this whole situation. She's visiting her cousin. And obviously, Jessica is famous. So why wouldn't uh, Denton, who is... Uh, in the highest of society want Jessica to be a part of this fox hunt. Then uh, we meet Teddy, who is Denton's other best friend. He is a dog. He is an adorable beagle. And he recognizes his name. Uh, he came running from downstairs. <laughs> Denton called him and he came running from downstairs to, to answer to the call. I... I think that's actually cute. And to see Denton with Teddy and how he let his guard down and he wasn't as um, stuck up as he appeared uh, a little, a minute or two ago when he was uh, talking about Tom. So it's clear that Denton and Abby have feelings for each other more so than employer employee, but I think it just stops at that, that they are friendly, but I don't think it's gone any further than that. I'm sure his kids have made absolutely sure that it didn't go any further than that. Um, so now we're out on the field. Everyone's mounting their horses for the fox hunt. Trish comes outside. She has a champagne glass. 
she drinks and then tosses it to the side. She's clearly intoxicated. And she gets on the horse. The fact that they allowed her as drunk as she appeared to get on a horse, I, I, I'm highly upset about that, to be perfectly honest. I know it's a TV show. I know she didn't actually, she wasn't actually drunk. And two, she probably wasn't even the person who was actually riding the horse. But it's not a good look, personally. <laughs> now, um, Jessica and Abby go over to Denton and he says, I've picked out a special horse for you ladies. Well, horses for you ladies. And Jessica sees sawdust. And says, oh, he looks just my speed. To which Denton says, Sawdust is too ancient for anyone except him. He hasn't got up to a gallop in years. So the other two horses that he's holding the reins of are for Abby and for Jessica. Now, the gates are opened and everyone is set out on their horses. There are several dogs that are running with them as well. I'm wondering, there has to be at least 50 people. People had to bring their own horses because I can't imagine, I the estate is large, but I can't imagine that they just had 50 plus horses just ready and on deck for this fox hunt. Maybe they borrowed horses from other farms or estates. Maybe people brought their own, but I was like, that's a lot of horses. And it seems like more, le it was less of a fox hunt and more of just like uh, a ride. Uh, I don't know if you call it that, but just basically a trail, the horses following a trail, dogs running. Like, I don't think they were actually looking for foxes. I think that was just the event. But there were a lot of people there to celebrate his 80th birthday. So then we see in the background, I actually saw Morgana. She was in a black jacket and the helmet, but she wasn't wearing the rest of the formal riding wear. And um, Jessica, I didn't realize she was also going to ride because she was not in uniform, but she had her own dress uniform, <laughs> dress riding gear, and she was also riding. Now, Denton is really just like, him and Sawdust are just trotting along, uh, enjoying the scenery, being outside, seeing all his friends and family and um, probably employees too, to be honest. And then all of a sudden, Trish comes storming, by, galloping by. She's hitting her horse to go faster and it spooks uh, Sawdust and his response is that he gets spooked and he takes off running super quick and he's bucking and he eventually jumps over this what appears to be hedges that are on top of a, an incline. Now, the crazy part is that they do a close-up of Denton who is clearly not moving as fast as the horse is. So there's a faraway shot, there are faraway shots that show obviously the stunt person from the back and the horse bucking crazy, right? And galloping and, and all of that. But then they have a close-up of Denton, his shoulders up in front of a green screen, I'm guessing, and he's not moving nearly as fast. So they should have just shown the back of Denton 
aka the stunt rider, than um, showing the close-up because it, it was terrible. It was really terrible. So I could, obviously this man, I don't know if he was 80 in real life, but he's playing an 80-year-old. He's obviously an older man, and I can definitely understand why they wouldn't have him on like a bucking bronco <laughs> on a, a in front of a green screen and end up having him actually get hurt. But they didn't have to do the close-up. It would have been perfectly fine if they didn't do the close-up. Um, as the horse is going over the hedge, Denton's like, I'm not ready for this, but tally-ho! <laughs> and uh, okay. So, but unfortunately, when they land, he's actually thrown off the horse. We see Denton now laid out on the ground and Teddy, this is the sad, this is honestly the saddest part of this. Teddy is like licking his face, trying to wake him up. And that was really, really on another level of sad because that was his best friend you know, he treated him better than, he treated Teddy better than he treated his children and grandchildren or his best person friends. But to see him, see the dog like licking his face as he's laid out on the ground, trying to wake him up was really, really sad and kind of brought uh, a sense of reality to the situation. You know what I mean? Um but what I don't understand, once they call the police and uh, the coroner's there and the vet actually uh, comes too, and he's the one who tells us that uh, Sawdust is probably like a, a mile and a half away from here because he just kept on running at, at full speed. So he, there was going to take time to find him. But nobody blames Trish. Now, I would have immediately, now I don't know if it's Abby's place, but if I were Spencer, um, I don't know if Morgana would be in that headspace. If I was Spencer, I trust and believe I would have pointed the finger at Trish and I would have been in her face because I would have blamed her. You were drunk on a horse and then you go up and gallop quickly past dad on his, spooking his horse, which led to the horse running, jumping, and our father falling off and dying. I They would have had to hold me back because even if there was no love loss that, oh, I'm going to get millions of dollars because he's dead, still, the fact that it was, it was definitely Trisha's fault. Now, we learned additional information later, but from what we know right now, I would 100% blame Trish for this quote-unquote accident, but I would have blamed her. Like, we, she would have had some explaining to do. I don't want to see you drink another drink. You're going into rehab because we can't arrest you. You're going into rehab or something because that... <laughs> why was she not immediately just everybody turn on her and and get get on her but whatever so Jessica in talking to the vet and the sheriff ask about um the horse being tested and that's when the vet says he's probably so far away but when we find him we'll definitely test him um 
you know, but we all know depending on how long it is before they find him sawdust, the chemicals may be out of his system uh, and untraceable. So the fact that the horse got away, um, it may, there may not be sufficient results, but we see where Jessica's mind is going. So um, the vet also believes that once the horse calms down, that he'll come back home. And I believe that may have been what happened. They do, sawdust does come, they do get sawdust back and he is fine and he is tested. And of course the test comes back negative because they find him like two towns over. So this is hours and hours later. The next scene, we're in Abby's house. So she has this beautiful little cottage um, on the grounds. It's very nice and quaint. It's, I was like, this is a nice setup for her. And that's when we learn that the horse was found hours later and negative for drugs. Abby's still suspicious that it, the horse was drugged because she says there are chemicals that do not leave a trace and also ones that go through the system quickly. So immediate testing would um, is the only way to find out if those drugs or that drug was in sawdust system. Now, she reveals to Jessica that the family just wanted his money. They didn't care about Denton. They just wanted his millions of dollars. Um, and it's clear that in the way Jessica is talking to Abby, that she understands that Abby felt more cared about him. Uh, more so than someone cares about another human being and like, I don't want to see someone hurt. But like she had feelings for him. So this, his death was doubly hard for her. She's not only lost her job really because none of the kids liked her, but she's lost someone who was very close to her that she cared about, that she had a relationship with. Although not romantic, it was a very close relationship. So now the next scene, we're back in the main house and Trish is drinking and it's the morning time apparently. And Trish is drinking. Uh, again, she wouldn't, I wouldn't allow her back in the house. I'm, I would be like, you need to find some place to stay. You're not staying in our father's house after you killed him. Because I, I'm that person. I am that person. So Morgana um, comes up to Trish and Spencer and she asks Spencer, she's like, look at these leaves. And he's like, what? I don't understand why she would have thought that Spencer would know how to read tea leaves. I Like, I understand that she's into astro projectionist and she's into spirituality in a different type of sense, maybe the moon and the stars, things to that effect. And psychics, apparently. But, and reading tea leaves. But I understand that's what you do and you understand that. But why would you think your skeptical brother who's like, come back to this planet would understand <laughs> and know what you, what these tea leaves say? That, that was odd to me that she would say, look at this and not say anything after that. Like show him and like, look at these tea leaves and think that he would understand what they said. So... <laughs> She, she's definitely special. So then um, 
Marcus, uh, their attorney comes in and he has the will and it's videotaped. So in this videotaped will, okay, he talks about, he dresses down each and every person. Okay. He leaves Tom his old shotgun that Tom admired. I'm like, I'm your best friend and that's what you leaving me? Okay. Obviously we weren't as good of friends as I thought, but fine. You know what? I've lived my life without your money. I'll continue to live without your money. He talks about Spencer. He talks about Trish. He talks about Morgana. He talks about Echo. He's like, hello, Echo. Is anybody there? I'm like, oh my God, this is your grandchild. Mind you, they all live in his house. So for me, you're you're talking about how the failures that your children are, but that's directly related to your inability to parent them because they're not only that, um, we don't know where Echo's father is, okay? So Morgana went out there, lived whatever life she lived, had a baby, came back with the baby, and now her Spencer don't, doesn't have a wife, a girlfriend, or nothing. Um, Trish is an alcoholic, and she ain't got nobody either. She hanging on, trying to catch a married man, and everybody knows she hot in the pants. So, like, he takes absolutely no responsibility for what he considers failures in his children. So I'm not mad that he's dead, okay? (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. So he tells them that they'll each get, he gives um, the security guard um, a, a certain amount of money. He tells them that all of the paintings are going to a museum. And so I guess he knew that they would sell them as soon as he died. So they can't do that. I think he said $3.3 million uh, out of your hands or down the drain, something to that effect. And then he said each of his relatives, each of the staff would get a cash payment. The kids would have a trust, but the bulk of his estate, $15 million was going to Teddy. Now, what was interesting at this point was that now, Teddy was in the video because Teddy runs up to his chair at, when he hears his name and Denton picks him up on video. But Teddy in real life, hearing his master call his name, ran up and sat down in front of the TV, right? Which is, he recognized his name wherever he was in the house, but... The next thing is everybody's in an uproar and they and Marcus says, well, this is 100% legitimate. Um, the will has a clause that if you can test it, you're cut out of it. Um, it's a, uh, a no contest clause, uh, which people who know that their relatives or uh, heirs will be contentious. It's all or nothing. Either you accept my terms, but if you try to challenge it, you're completely out. So kind of forcing people to adhere to the will. And Marcus is like, well, 
listen, this is a hundred percent legitimate. He was of his right mind when he did this. Um, it's, it's set in stone. So deal with it. Now, when Marcus says Teddy's name, if you notice, which I had not noticed, and I've watched this episode a number of times, but I noticed this time that when he called, when he mentioned Teddy's name, when he said Teddy is the heir, whatever he put it, Teddy came up to him and was on his hind legs. And that usually cues that the dog wants a treat. So I keep that in mind. I had not noticed this ever before until this one time that I'm watching this episode and taking notes that Teddy responded to his name on the video and then responded to his name when Marcus called him, said his name and he started to, and he sat back on his hind legs as if he expected a treat. So, mm put a pin in that one. So now, um, the additional thing was if Teddy dies of anything other than natural causes, that the money immediately goes to the ASPCA, right? Now, my question is, if he dies of natural causes, what happens? Does that then mean that the $15 million goes is divided by, uh, divided among Denton's heirs. I'm guessing that's what that means. There really wasn't a completion to that sentence that if he dies, once he's died naturally, this, well, A, if he does not die naturally, then B, like nobody gets this money. It goes to the ASPCA. Now, um, the next scene is Jessica uh, in Abby's house. She's on the phone. She's calling um, back to Cabot Cove to Ethan to update him that she's going to be a bit longer. We then see Abby and Morgana out on the field. So actually we see Annie, uh, I'm sorry, Abby. And Trish is trying to, Trish is actually riding a horse and it does a jump but the jump is a little, isn't perfect, but it gets over and she's whipping it. And Abby's like, you know, if you're nicer to the horse, then you'll go further. And to which Trish gives some back and forth, like basically uh, her father was the only reason that she was here and that once everything's settled, you'll be out of here. Spencer comes up, he gets involved and it's like, stay out of family business. Um, and then they go off. I didn't see until this moment when Morgana was like, Hey, (laughs) she was standing there and Morgana basically tells Abby to watch out for Trish. Like, you know, she, there's something with her. Be careful. So now, um, we, as they're, as Abby's going around, there's uh, horses start running out of the stable. And so Abby runs over to see what's going on. And Spencer is trying to hold Teddy back. And he has a, a stool and a, a whip or whatnot. Like, <laughs> like Teddy is a lion and he's a lion tamer, right? And so 
Abby comes in and she says to Spencer, what did you do? Because <laughs> obviously it was Spencer's fault. Well, not for nothing, it was. But obviously it was Spencer's fault because Teddy doesn't bother anybody and he's not an aggressive dog. And that horse took the heck off. Like, this ain't my business. <laughs> and so Abby, um, Spencer's like, he just attacked me. He's he nipped at the horse and he tried to attack me. He needs to be put down. She was like... Ma'am, listen. So she she's like, Teddy, down, sit, good boy. And he responds to that. And um, we immediately, the next scene, we're outside and Teddy is sitting in um, the back of the van. The vet is there and the vet has done a drug test. And he's like, this would make a dog crazier than a loco weed. But how did they get, I, it looks like it was urine, how did they get a urine test and a result that quickly? Now, I know like for street drugs, police have um, a, a test that they can do on the scene and it turns a certain color if it's a certain uh, substance, right? Do they have the same thing for dog urine? Um, <laughs> that the vet just was able to get there that quick, get a urine sample out of the dog and, and do like a, a test? Um, I guess, but then, um, the vet was like, well, who did he bite? And Abby was like, he didn't bite anybody. Like, you know, what are you talking about? He was like, he bit someone cause there's blood on him. And when I tell you, Teddy is just laying there, just staring off, looking as passive as he can look. <laughs> it's like, oh, Teddy ain't bite nobody. Y'all crazy. So then, um, the sheriff drives up. And um, what Potts, okay, who is the neighbor, I guess, on the other side, not Tom's side, but the other side, um, he claims, he jumps out, his arm is bandaged up. He claims that Teddy um, knocked him down. Now, Teddy is a beagle, right? He's a small dog. That he knocked this grown man down and took a chunk out of his arm, Right? And that he needs to be put down. And Spencer's like, yeah, he needs to be put down if he's biting people. And <laughs> the fact is, if Teddy is 10 pounds, maybe, maybe 20 pounds, he didn't get, he didn't go over to no Potts Farm and knock that grown man down and take a bite out of his arm. Okay, don't nobody believe that but the sheriff. And because uh, the vet was looking like, I don't know about all that. But Jessica definitely didn't believe it. And neither did Abby. And any person with eyes to see <laughs> could, didn't believe that either. Okay. So um, then fast forward. We're in Abby's house. Abby's there with Jessica. And Abby gets a call. Um, from Marcus and he said that he was able to get Teddy released. Now they legitimately took Teddy to jail. They didn't take him to the kennel and we'll we'll see in a minute. But like he got him released. On, he's on home release. The dog is on home release. Okay, does he have a GPS monitor on his paw? <laughs> oh God. But they said that he, he wasn't rabid. So maybe they took him to the kennel, whatever. That he wasn't rabid. Um, I, whatever test they do to determine that I've never had a dog, so I don't know how long that test takes, 
but um, I'm, I'm sure that Teddy had all his shots. If nothing else, we know how that Denton took absolute best care of Teddy. So um, I'm sure Potts didn't have to get a Tecmas shot. I'm sure of that. Anyway, so next scene, we're at Marcus's office, the lawyer's office. And uh, we see the children's lawyer leaving. The children, I know they're adults, so it's kind of, you know, but it's Morgana, uh, Trish, and Spencer's attorney who's talking about, I, I found a loophole in the will. I'll be able to break it, you know, whatever, whatever. Marcus doesn't seem phased by this. And then after that lawyer leaves, Morgana walks out and shakes his hand. So that's how we know that it's the it's the um, Denton's kids uh, attorney. It's hard when they're adults to say they're kids, but they're his his children. So as Jessica and Abby, who have Teddy now, Abby brought Teddy, are about to walk into Marcus's office. His secretary says, um, "Oh." Um, I, I forget his last name. I think I have it written someplace else. But uh, Mr. Marcus, we'll go ahead. Uh, your broker's on the phone. This is the third time he's called. Now, honestly, he should immediately fire this woman because you work in an attorney's office, okay? You are supposed to have discretion. These are clients, okay? Even if they're not clients, they are not employees of this law firm, for one. You should not be telling anybody other than in a private conversation that the person on the phone is this person's broker and that he's called him three times before. Now, if she said Mr. Brown is on the phone and this is the third time he called and, I, and he needs to talk to you, that's also... I would say fire her because how does that look to new clients that, oh, well, that's that may be one of his clients and he's not returning their calls. So this, in, I know this is to move the story along. Okay, this is to give us another clue. I understand that. But in real life, <laughs> I was pissed. I was like, who does that? Where'd you get this secretary? And you definitely need to send her back where she came from because she's a horrible secretary. Okay. I've had excellent secretaries who will, who are gatekeepers, okay? When I tell you gatekeepers, they need to know basically your blood type before they're going to send a call to me, okay? <laughs> All right? They, you're not just getting through with some, oh, can I speak to such and such? Um, will she know what it's about? She'll know what it's about. If they call me and say, hey, I got this person on the line, and they say, you'll know what it, it's about. Like, uh, if I don't, I'm going to be like telling them to leave a message because I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> okay, they're supposed to protect you. And this lady is trash <laughs> at her job. I'm sure she's a very nice lady though. So then we go inside and Marcus reveals that all the heirs are in on the suit and that the, the lawyer who just left is from DC because he did mention, oh, the next time I'm in, I'm in DC, we'll have to um, play golf, right? So he also says that that attorney is known for breaking wills. So um, 
they asked Abby and I think Jessica's the one who asked whether Potts had filed a lawsuit and to which Marcus said no he has not and um <laughs> okay so so Jessica says oh so did that attorney find a um a loophole in the will and Marcus says more of a rat hole <laughs> they're questioning this um the issue of sound mind and so Abby's like Denton was definitely in his right mind he was definitely of sound mind to which Marcus says no not Denton's Teddy's now I don't know how you can question whether a dog has sound mind or not I guess as long as he doesn't have uh rabies I guess <laughs> then he is your average dog I don't I don't know how you can even judge that but I guess his point is because you can't judge the um the children's attorney because you can't judge whether the dog is of sound mind he wouldn't be able to make decisions and he can't communicate in a way that um he would need to in order to uh properly maintain the estate i'm guessing anyway so <laughs> um so then this horrible secretary breaks in. Now, honestly, he should have picked up the phone, but he, uh, Marcus hits the speaker phone and the secretary says, um, your it's your broker. He says he has to talk to you. It's, a, it's in, imperative that he talks to you. To which Marcus then picks up the phone. Now he is in the wrong here when he didn't ask the ladies to step out. Because if he would have said, well, A, the woman should have, the secretary should have said, it's Mr. Brown again. Two, Marcus should have said just a second and asked the ladies to step out. He would have been well within his rights to ask them to just step out for a moment. But he didn't. And so it's clear that um, he owes the broker money, right? Because he says that he'll get the check to him today. And yes, he'll remember to put a stamp on it. So it seems like not only does he owe money, but it seems like when he's previously owed money, he said that the check was in the mail and then used the excuse of, oh, I forgot to put a stamp on it. <laughs> That's horrible, actually. Not It's hilarious, but it's horrible when you're the person who's owed that money. Okay. <laughs> So he tells the ladies, because he's just a chatty Kathy today, that Spencer recommended that stock. But the only thing that makes him feel better is the fact that Spencer bought more of it. So Jessica concludes and is like, well, um, so Spencer's in debt? To which he's like, yes. So, okay, this means that... Spencer needed his father to die so he could get access to his money. Okay, he had he now has a motive as if he didn't already just because they obviously did not love their father and it seems like he didn't love them either to be honest. Um but this is an additional motive for why he needed his father to die because he needed this money in order to get out of debt. 
So now where it's nighttime and we're in the security booth and um, I'm trying to remember what the guard's name is because they definitely tell us who the guard's name is. Um, I might have it later on. But anyway, so the guard who <laughs> he lets Teddy in because Teddy scratches at the door. He lets him in and it's really nice because like the... The security guard is also close to Teddy. He's, um, we find out Teddy's been coming to the door and spending time with him every night. That's really sweet, actually. Well, we find out what that's about. But that's very sweet that he has, a, at least he had a good relationship with Denton, but he also has this close relationship with Teddy, which I think he's the only, well, Teddy's not a person, but you know what I mean. He's the only reason that the guard is going to be upset about leaving. Honestly and truly, 100% is because he will not have, uh, get to spend time with Teddy. Honestly and truly, he probably hates the rest of that family. Maybe he didn't, maybe he was fine with Denton, but Teddy's the only reason that he's gonna miss this job. <laughs> anyway, so he tells us, well, Teddy, that, well, you know, we won't have this for much longer because once the paintings go to the museum, then I'm gone. My question is, okay, now all three of the children and the grandchild live in this house, right? Two, there is an electric gate that requires that it be a button be pushed in the security booth to open it. So... Uh, are they going to dismantle that? Don't they still need a security guard? We don't see anybody else in a security uniform the entirety of this episode. So it's only this one security guard. And he was, even if he was just protecting the paintings, he was the one who opened the gate <laughs> at night when it was closed. Or even during the day, because when they started the fox hunt, he had to press the button to open the gate. So I don't understand why they would let him go. Uh, maybe they could just change his salary because they don't have those precious paintings. But the fact is, there are still four human beings living who are wealthy, who are living in this house. And nobody's going to run down to the, the guard's booth to press the button to open the gate. <laughs> that's not going to happen. So I don't understand why they would be letting him go once the paintings are gone. Anyway, so as they're sitting there, uh, a car wildly take, takes a huge, well, overcorrects basically and comes to a screeching halt about 20 feet away from the gate and about like five to 10 feet away from the intercom and they know that the guard knows that is Trish and he's like look at this drunk again why she's able why she doesn't have a driver I do not know if Denton has 15 million dollars just in his estate after he's paid everything else out and a cash gift and a cash gift and a, a trust and a trust all of this stuff that he didn't have a driver for his drunk daughter. Like she obviously has an alcohol problem and they allow her to just drive a vehicle. 
that is horrible. And that shows that they don't care about anybody. They don't even, he didn't even care about her and her safety that he could have got her a driver to make sure that she got home safe. Cause she, she wasn't in any frame of mind to do it herself. Okay. I'm getting off my soapbox. Sorry. <laughs> so she stumbles out of her car, walks over to the call box, presses the button, does not say anything. So he buzzes her in, the security guard buzzes her in. And it looks like there are four gates on this property, okay? Four gates. Who is going to buzz people in once the security guard is gone? Doesn't make any type of sense to me, but okay. He buzzes her in and instead of stumbling back to the car, which is closer to the call box, she starts walking, stumbling towards the gate, okay? Which does not make any sense, okay? <laughs> so as the gate is opening, she's walking, her car is still running, okay? Walks, stumbles. He said, oh, look at this mess. Let me go and make sure she gets in her car and in here safely. As the security guard is rounding the corner, Trish falls, okay? And um, we see on the camera her fall. Then the security guard comes around and sees her on the ground. So he starts running. Now he's a little bit overweight, so he's a little bit older. So he's not necessarily as fast as he, as we needed him to be. But he goes running as the gate is closing, right? So right before he gets, and he's, to, and there's no response. So at this point, he um, he's almost there. And then the gate closes on Trisha's neck. When I, now, we don't see this. Uh, we see it getting closer. And then the camera pans to the security guard. How absolutely traumatic for him, for one, to see this person um, get crushed to death by a gate, like their neck crushed to death, crushing, getting their neck getting crushed and them dying in front of him. How traumatic he, how horrible does he feel that he didn't run fast enough to, to help her also confused about why the gate was closing. I'm confused about why she didn't go back to her car so that she could drive in because the gate was opening as opposed to stumbling to the gate. We then see inside the security booth that there is a crime scene person um, taking fingerprints off of the console because someone had to press the button, <clears throat> excuse me, in order for the gate to close. It did not automatically close. You had to press the button to open it and you had to press the button to close it. So then the next scene is we're inside the main house. Morgana says that she saw Trish's ghost rise up and cry like a mourning dove. And honestly, that does sound crazy, okay? Jessica clears this up for us in a minute, but that does sound really crazy. We're led to believe that she is uh, not normal, Okay, and I hate to say it like that because she just has different beliefs than the mainstream. 
But we're led to think that she's crazy. Like she's delusional, that she's on some other planet. Um, so hearing this from her, and then she's like, when I finally see a real ghost, nobody believes me. It's like, no, that's basically how they wrote your character for no one to believe you and to think that you were, you know, Looney Tunes. So then Marcus arrives and he tells them that there was a fingerprint, there was a print on the the gate button and it was actually a paw print on the button to close the gate. Everyone gets excited. Echo's like, yeah, there goes the will. And he's like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And Abby's like, that's impossible. A dog can't murder somebody. Someone would have to train him. And so everybody looks to her and she's like, oh crap. Because one, you're the trainer. And two, you're the trainer. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know why she would have killed Trish or Denton. I don't know why they would have thought, blamed her because... She would have never killed Denton because she liked him. She cared for him. She had the best situation because she had she was working for someone that she really had feelings with. She loved the horses. She loved the property. She adored Teddy. This was a great situation for her. So it doesn't make sense that she would kill Denton. And so then for the second murder of Trish... Yeah, Trish was like, you're going to be out of here and things like that. But killing her is not going to make a difference because Spencer was like, you're out of here as well. So she wasn't, Abby wasn't going to get any money with Trish being dead. So it wasn't to her benefit or to her detriment for Trish to be alive. So I don't know why they would be pointing, thinking that Abby was a logical person to have murdered either one of them. So we also hear from the security guard that from Jess, she was like, she goes to the security booth. The guard is in there now. And she said, was there anything out of the ordinary? That's when we learned that Teddy comes every night um, for the past few weeks, or at least, no, he said for the past week, that's important. For the past week, he scratches on the door, he comes in, we sit together and you know, that's that. He never mentions that Teddy ever touched the buttons before. But he says, yeah, like, I didn't hear any, like, Trish didn't say anything when she pressed the buzzer. And, um, yeah, I just heard a night bird. A night bird. And Morgana said she heard a morning dove. Okay? Keep that in, put a pin in that. So then um, Jessica and Abby are in the kitchen. Abby's in there having tea and Jessica walks in and she says, I know the English. When things are, when they're having a problem, they want to sit and have a, a cup of tea. And so she comes in, she sits with her. And it's funny because Angela Lansbury is English and she spent a lot of her time in England. So she is she would know yeah even though she's playing an american she would know <laughs> um but as they're sitting in the kitchen marcus walks in and he's like oh i i got to get ice and da 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 so 
Abby says there's plenty here. The um, ice bucket is up on the shelf. So there's a step ladder right there. As he's stepping up, Jessica notices and she's like, oh, um, Marcus, you have a, a terrible grease stain on your pants. And he says, oh, um, you know, thanks. Uh, about a half a mile out, I had a flat tire, so I had to change it. Um, and he, she was like, well, how long were you stopped? And he says, for about 20 minutes. And did anyone pass by? No, no one passed by. So at this point, they all look at each other like, well, that means, well, um, the murderer would have had to leave in that direction and he would have had to pass Marcus. So since he didn't, he or she, honestly, he or she didn't, they have to still be in the house. So now they're like, ooh. So Jessica is asking um, Abby how a dog could be trained. And she's like, well, with a treat, you're like, okay, press the button. Okay, good boy. And give him a treat. And, and then it comes up that you could also train them with a whistle. So at this point, Abby goes into the living room. She was like, my cousin has figured it out. Okay. <laughs> so stand down. She's figured it out. And so Jessica's like, ah, calm down. Um, Sheriff, can we speak um, separately? And he's like, no, I don't want to waste my time. If you got to say it, say it to everybody. You know, I don't, I didn't like the sheriff from the beginning and I surely don't like him now. Okay. <laughs> so she explains that um, someone pressed the button that someone who was wearing Trisha's coat pressed the button because they didn't say anything. So we don't know if that was even Trish. That they fell, that as the security guard was making his way down to the gate, they got up, took Trish's coat off because Jessica noticed when she was helping um, uh, Officer Will, well, Will is his first name, but Officer Will uh, fold up Trish's fur coat that was on the scene, which I guess they took off of her when they took her in the body bag, unfortunately. And they just left her coat just on the ground, which I thought was very odd that it wouldn't go with her, just why they wouldn't pick her up wearing the coat. But anyway, whatever. So Jessica noticed that the lining had torn and she was like, but this is a new coat. My car coat, which I'm assuming she's had for a number of years, ha is, the seams have torn, but this coat is new so that it didn't make sense. So when she's putting it together, she says someone else had it on and they removed it quickly, causing the seam to rip and put it back on Trish. That Trish was probably in the car the entire time and that the murderer... Either she was passed out or um, unconscious, either passed out drunk or unconscious for some due to violence in the in the car already, that she wasn't the one who was driving. The murderer made it look like it was a drunk driver. And that um, once the guard was on his way down and out of sight of the gate, that the killer then brought Trisha's body out, put her in the coat, 
and lined her right up with the gate, her neck right up with the gate so that it would be crushed. So um, at this point, the sheriff was like, okay, so Teddy had to be trained to push the closed gate button while the security guard had left. It's like, yes. And they could be trained with a whistle. Yes. Like this whistle that we found by the murder scene and with the initials ABF to which Abby was like Abigail Benton Freestone. That's my whistle. So of course she's then arrested. Now we go to the holding cells. This is the next scene. And Abby is talking to someone. They then pan to the next human prison cell. And Teddy is laying on his side on the top bunk in a jail cell. When I tell you this is outrageously hilarious, (laughs) A, why wouldn't they have put them in the same cell? He is a dog. Why would you put him in a separate human cell? Now, I'm fine with him not being in a kennel. I guess he's under arrest. Where You can't even arrest a dog because you can't prosecute a dog. So it wouldn't go to the regular jail because that's stupid. But why wouldn't they have put them in the same cell? It's not like they can conspire to come up with a story how they're going to save themselves because the dog, unlike Scooby-Doo, Teddy does not speak English (laughs) or Spanish or any language that would be recognizable by a human. So this, they ain't got nothing better to do and got nothing but empty cells apparently that they could put a dog in a whole human cell next to his trainer and friend. Okay. So Jessica is talking to the sheriff and, um, She says, don't you think it's odd that two people from the same family were murdered in one week? And the sheriff is like, "Eh." now the sheriff's office is huge. Okay. For what I'm guessing, I don't know what town this is. I can't even, we don't know if it's a small town or what, but that sheriff's office is huge. Okay. (laughs) And he's just sitting back completely different than um, Cabot Cove where the sheriff has a desk (laughs) in an open area. (laughs) He has to have an office. He has a desk among his deputies. I think there are two or there are three desks in uh, for the sheriff and the two deputies in Cabot Cove. (laughs) Anyway, so this sheriff is like, um, you know, I... I don't I think the first one was an accident. Denton's death was an accident. And Trish, um, Abby trained that dog, you know, whatever. The inquest is on Friday, so whatever, whatever. I ain't listening to what you gotta say. This sheriff is completely a jerk, and they really honestly should not elect him again, to be honest. Okay. So then the next scene. Jessica is in Marcus's car. They're on the road up to the gate and they're about a half a mile from the gate and she asked him to drop him her off there. And Marcus is like, well, I can drive you up. And she's like, no, I really need the fresh air and the exercise. So I'll be fine. I'll walk from here. So he, he drives off and Jessica looks at his tire mark. 
okay? Keep that in mind, okay? So then as she's looking around, Detective uh, Deputy Will, again, Will is his first name, uh, but Will, he's a really good guy and he he is taken to Jessica. Like, this seems like the first time she may have been here, but everyone seems to know her and he is the... Will is very respectful, unlike the sheriff, okay? So he's like, oh, do you need any help? Like, what's going on? Are you okay? And she's like, oh, do you think, do you have one of the sheriff's metal detectors? And he's like, no, but I can get it. What do you need it for? And she's like, I'm looking for a bike clip. And he's like, a bike clip? She's like, you'll know it when you see it. Now, I don't know if he went back and got a metal detector or if they were just out there looking, but we find out that they find a bike clip. So the next scene, Jessica is at the stable and she's on a horse and Echo comes up to her. Echo is also on a horse and um, they're, they're talking, you know, and Echo is being polite. Like she, she's actually okay. Jessica says like, I don't believe this Potts person uh, that he was bit. Where's his farm? And so Echo's like right up the way. So Jessica goes on horseback. She arrives and she ties her horse up. She sees the bandages um, on the shotgun, which is leaned up against some farm equipment. While Potts, using both of his arm, both of his hands, both of his arms, and a chainsaw to cut wood is not paying any attention and does not hear anything. So she runs up, grabs the bandage, and runs back up to where her horse is. This is a total of 30 seconds. If that, right? When she comes back, she sees sawdust, and I believe it is sawdust, tied up. Not the horse that she came up on. And then Spencer steps out from standing next to a tree. He said, oh, I went and I tied your, I took your horse back to the stable. How in the actual world did Spencer arrive from the time it took Jessica to turn her back, because we didn't see him, but to turn her back to go down probably like maybe a hundred yards, not even a hundred yards, a hundred feet, grab and run back up a hundred feet that he, Spencer, showed up, untied her horse, took the horse back to the Langley estate, locked him up, got another horse and rode that horse back, got off, tied him up and uh, took three steps behind a tree. That's impossible. That does not make sense. Okay. <laughs> that time does not work like that, people. It doesn't. Anyway, so they take, uh, Spencer calls out to Potts. They take her into Potts's barn, I'm guessing. And Spencer admits to um, wanting to destroy the dog because it seemed the easiest way to break the will. But the, esti- but the thing is, the money would have gone to the ASPCA, okay? Or like, it wasn't going to go to you. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) I understand how they thought that by framing the dog 
for biting pots and having him uh, determined to be unfit that that will break the will. Because in all honesty, that $15 million was only for Teddy's care. Teddy wasn't going to be managing that money. Someone was going to be managing that money on Teddy's behalf. Now, if these kids had any sort of sense, what they would have done is they would have figured out a way where they could be the caretakers of Teddy. So they would have access to that $15 million. Anyway, so um, Potts is, he is definitely supposed to be a hillbilly. He is crazy. So I don't even know how Spencer and Potts even made an agreement. They are two completely different people. And I don't know how in the world they ever got into a conversation and came up with this plot, plan, and agreement. I really don't because Potts is clearly made to be like a hick, hillbilly um, type of person and Spencer is high class, high society, horrible with finances, but high class, high society person. So definitely an odd couple. So they don't, in fact, um, kill Jessica. She's like, I know, like, listen, I know who the real murderer is. And after that, no one's really going to care about your scheme to get uh, Teddy committed. Okay, no one's going to care. Let's just, I know who the murderer is. So now we're at the inquest. And this coroner is something else. Okay, (laughs) so he... He is like, it's been brought to light that there was some conspiracy between Spencer and Potts. And he says, Spencer, you've always been a stupid ass. Are you serious? Like, this is in front of people. This is supposed to be a formal proceeding. (laughs) This coroner is wild, okay? So then he says that uh, Jessica is going to make a presentation. And she, as an Americus curai and so he says for you yahoos in the back that means friend of the court (laughs) outrageous he is he is something else he does not even care okay so now jessica sets up her presentation right so she says i just want to make this quick i don't want to waste everybody's time so i'm only going to call one witness i'm going to call teddy okay yes the adorable beagle, Teddy. So she calls him and he sits down on the chair like a good boy. And um, she has Abby's whistle. So she asks Will, the deputy sheriff, to help her out. So he takes, he he blows the whistle and Teddy barks. He responds, right? Now that Will is in the room at this time. So Jessica says, okay, can you go outside and take the other half of this intercom? She puts the other next to Teddy on the table and she asks the detect- the deputy sheriff to go ahead and blow the whistle. You then hear through the intercom, okay, I just blew the whistle and nobody heard anything. To which Jessica says, even for Teddy's sensitive ears, 
he can't hear it because the intercom's frequency is not high enough for the whistle to come through it. So it could not have been a whistle that signaled Teddy to press the button. So then, um, which is, and I have to take a step aside. So when she gave Will the um, whistle, it's in evidence, right? It's in evidence. That means this is actually Abby's whistle, the one that they found. And now watching this in the time of COVID, I'm like, I hope they clean that whistle off. I don't know, because I don't think they were checking for DNA in 1984, so they really wouldn't have had to preserve it like that to see if someone else had used Abby's whistle. But I'm hoping they cleaned it, because sitting here in 2020, I was like, oh, that's inappropriate. <laughs> don't use the whistle, Will. Disinfect it first. Anyway, so, um, so Jessica explains that. So then she asked the security guard, she said, you said that you heard um, a night bird, also a mockingbird, right? Yes, I heard that. Okay. And she then goes to Morgana and says that you heard, um, you saw Trisha's spirit rise to the sound of a mockingbird. Uh, Well, she said a morning bird, but yeah. It's like, yes. She then says that, I was looking at this the wrong way. And I started to think maybe the person wasn't someone who expected to inherit. Someone who was in deep debt from bad investments. Now, the first part, they were like, okay. The second part, Spencer was like, wait a second now. I'm in deep debt. But wait, wait, I did expect expect to inherit. But did she talk about me? So then... Here's the clincher. Here's the clincher. She said, and someone who needed income that a lengthy litigation would bring. Okay. At this point, Marcus hops to his feet and says, those are serious accusations. And she's like, yeah, it is. And it was a you (laughs) did this. So, Jessica breaks it down for everybody, for the yahoos in the back, okay? (laughs) She says that he persuaded Trish to give Sawdust the drugs because he, Marcus, was the one who knew what was in the will. So he told her, Trish, that she was going to inherit millions. So if she wanted that money sooner because she didn't care about her father. If she wanted that money sooner, then she needed to dope sawdust. Excuse me. So that's why she agreed to do it and did it. She was the person in the galoshes with the glove and the pill that all the horses knew, all the horses were used to seeing, even though, just as an aside before we go back, Personally, I am also, I am surprised that the horses didn't react negatively to her because it seems like she always rides them while drunk and is overly aggressive with them. And horses remember that. I am surprised that they didn't make a stink about her being there and make noise to um, 
about her being there because they were upset. I, I'm interested about that. I think in order to move this story forward, it had to appear that the person was someone that the horses liked. I don't know if they even considered that the horses would have been upset to see Trish because she treats them so bad. But okay, back to the breakdown. She said that Jessica says that she found a bicycle clip and that would explain the telltale grease stains on Marcus's pants when they saw him in the kitchen uh, the night of Trish's murder. And then she said, because he says, well, that was from changing my tire. She says, no, first, the tire tracks were even. Lee Warren, that would not have happened if you had changed one of the tires because most people, everybody, the tire in their trunk has never been used before, but at the very least has not been used at the same amount as the tires on their actual vehicle. And she said, you know what? We could check your trunk to see the tread on that tire. Okay, sir. <laughs> and that so at this point he's like I you can't prove this I didn't do this whatever so she says will go ahead so at this point she is this is when she puts the button next to Teddy and she says uh we then hear a night bird well we hear a bird call so which Teddy props up and puts his paw on the button, like two or three times pressing it. He then run, jumps off the chair and runs over to Marcus and again, like we saw earlier, gets on his hind legs looking for a treat. To which Jessica says, why don't you give him his treat? He's waiting for his treat. He did what he was supposed to do. Okay, <laughs> like, freeze frame, you're guilty. You're going to jail. Okay. <laughs> so, so that is that on that, right? So the next scene, they are, we learn that Abby is going back to Kent. She's going home to Kent. That Tom, the best friend of Denton, is taking Teddy to his farm. And he, we find out that they were not able to break the will, that the kids are going to have to deal with whatever money that they got in their trust from their father, and that Teddy still has that $15 million. And as Tom is leaving, <laughs> we see the back of his pickup truck, which is like um, the name of his farm, home of the millionaire stud. I'm like, and just... <laughs> Oh, this is the best part was Teddy just with his head over the back of the pickup truck. As you see the painting on the back of it saying the millionaire dog, I think, or millionaire stud, something like that, that it's Teddy's face. And that is so adorable. <laughs> Although that is extremely unsafe for that dog to be back there just in the bed of a pickup truck. But... Aside from that, it was absolutely adorable. The perfect way 
to end this episode. So, okay, you guys, that is that on that, okay? (laughs) This was a good episode. It's one that I watch uh, frequently. It's a good one. It had two murders for the price of one. It, It was interesting because the person who actually facilitated the murder of Denton ends up getting murdered themselves. So Trish is murdered by Marcus. Trish, after finding out she's not getting those millions and, <clears throat> excuse me, that the all the money was going to Teddy, she confronts Marcus and he is then forced to invite her for drinks and set up her murder. So we also find out Actually, so let me take it back a second. We actually find out that as soon as Denton died and the will was read, that Trish confronted Marcus and he set this up. But my question is, now the security guard said that Teddy had been coming for the past few days. Now, I don't know if he means how long that period of time is. Because my question is, was, you know what? I think Marcus was planning to kill Trish all along. So, okay, okay. This is is what it is. I think Marcus started training Teddy before Denton died. And so by the time Denton died, because he knew that once that will was read, that Trish was going to be on his back about, you lied to me. I, you know, helped you kill my father because I thought I was going to get millions, you know, whatever. As if she could go to the police. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go to the police. What are you going to do? Because you're implicating yourself. You're not going trying to go to prison. But... I don't know. She's usually drunk, so she probably didn't even think that far ahead. But I think that Marcus always planned to get rid of her so that even if she was willing to go to prison, like willing to tell him, tell on him and go to prison, he couldn't take that chance. So um, I think he had before Denton died that he already had started to train Teddy so that when the time came after the will was read, knowing that she was going to confront him, that he already had Teddy ready to go. He had already set up the process, the nightly visits to security and that training. He had already done it and uh, started to do it before Denton died. That is crafty. Marcus is a dangerous person. (laughs) Okay. But Jessica figured it out. And we can close this case. The murderer and conspirator are under arrest. Okay. So again, this was a really good episode. I did like it. It was absolutely wild at parts, for sure, for Sure, but 
again, it's one that I can sit and watch from beginning to end. So next week, it's Lovers and Other Killers. Now, this one, this one, this one, okay? (laughs) I cannot wait to tape that review. And for those of you who love that episode as much as I do, you can sign up on my Patreon, just me being dramatic, to get early access to Lovers and Other Killers and the following episodes after that. Again, if you can't wait to hear the review of Lovers and Other Killers, and I can't wait to do it. I cannot wait. It's one of my faves. You can go over to Patreon and look for me at just me being dramatic and sign up for Patreon, for my Patreon account. Now, also, you can find, if you want to send me an email, you can email me at just me being dramatic at gmail.com. Again, just me being dramatic at gmail.com. So I will see you guys next week or I'll see you on Patreon. Talk to you later. Bye.